This year, in 2022, we will begin in a study of this fourth of the Gospels. In fact, I was thinking about uh, people have come into my office, and I was coming in late, and uh, I, I think Ed was the last one out. I said, we're going to get in trouble, and what are we getting in trouble for? Well, we were praying before the service, so I don't think you really get in trouble for that, but we did come in a little bit late. And as they were, men were praying, and, and we were talking about, you know, give the preacher the right words and all that, and I thought, this will be my very best sermon of 2022. This will also be my very worst sermon of 2022, because this is the only time I've preached so far this year. And Pierce did a wonderful job introducing to you last week some information that we will cover today once again. But today, I only want to look at the first three verses of the Gospel of John, the first chapter. These first three verses are part of the first 18 verses, which are referred to as the prologue to this Gospel written by John. He begins... In the beginning, just as Genesis 1-1 begins, and as I told my wife, the only Hebrew I remember is Barah Bereshith Elohim, and I memorized it incorrectly. It's actually Bereshith Barah Elohim, which is in the beginning, God. John starts his gospel just like the beginning of Genesis begins. Some of us say, or some theologians will say, that John is more theological, more cosmopolitan than the synoptics, and that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We'll use those terms over and over. Most of you know those terms, but just by way of reminder, the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three, many commentators, many theologians, Bible scholars will say, used some common theme. John seems to be totally different. He writes, not of all the miracles that you see, not that he is denouncing or rejecting any of the miracles that are in the other Gospels, but he doesn't share all those same uh, miracle events. Many will say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are introducing you to Jesus and to who he could be as your Savior. But others will say that John is telling the believer those who have accepted Christ, who Jesus really is. It becomes theological in that regard. We're quick to remind ourselves of John 20, I think, which is verse 31, that latter part there. These things have been written that you may believe and that you may have life. So one of the Gospels here, actually, John is saying, this is why I've written this for you. This is why God has given me this. This is why God has inspired me to write is that so you may believe who Jesus is and by faith in him have life. Written by the disciple. I think Dan was in my office, and I'm sorry if I pick on you, Dan. He, are you up there today, Dan, or where, where do you go? Oh, you're in the back. He's, he messes with the sound. Sometimes he just likes to mute me. Uh, but he said um, this week as we talked about the reference of who wrote the Gospel of John. Most of us will immediately say, well, John, the one of the twelve disciples, the one whom Jesus loved most. And hopefully when we get to that section where he refers to himself that way, we'll be able to understand it a little bit better. But Dan and I were both saying, how presumptuous, how, how almost arrogant to say, Jesus loved me most. I would stop right there and say, Jesus loves each one of you the same. He came. He lived a life apart from the 
riches of heaven and gave himself up for you and for me because he was faithful to the Father and because of his love for you and I. He is, John, one of the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, one who is called the evangelist. Sometimes you'll see it, John the evangelist. Many scholars will say that he was the youngest of the disciples, therefore allowing him to be alive even when Polycarp, who would be the bishop of Smyrna that we talk about when we study Revelations, who was burned at the stake because he would not, not denounce Christ, had met him face to face in the early part of 100 A.D. John's gospel is commonly agreed to have been written somewhere around 80 to 95 A.D., the last of the gospels written. So what I'm going to ask you to do is stand with me, please, as we read God's Word, written by John, divinely inspired, without error, and offered for you and me. Most of you have this memorized. So, Cliff, what can you tell me about it? Nothing. Only God can. So here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at these three short verses, and as we try to scratch the surface of what for many of us is our favorite gospel, remind us that John is revealing to us who Jesus was and is and can be for those who were placed their faith in him. Open our eyes, open our minds, let us hear your words afresh today that which we have memorized, that which we can say from rote memory, Lord, let us be able to say it is alive. Your word is alive and in me. As we spend time today with you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your seats. Go ahead and show them the slide. Word. I looked and I looked for the video. In my mind, in fact, I spent probably more time researching this week a commercial that I wanted to play than what I should have been doing researching the sermon. Because in my mind, there was a commercial that have guys saying, word, word, but it's probably the Budweiser commercial where they're saying, why up? You know, that one, why up? Now, I'm looking at you like you would not know what that is, Steve. But word can mean so many things in our modern vernacular. In fact, if you, as I did, Google the slang use of word, here are some of the, in fact, there are like 15 of them. I won't share them all with you. But word can mean something just that it's okay. For example, I'll be there in five minutes. Word. I'm going to the store. I'll be back later. Word. It can also mean something like cool. I got an A on my test. Word. It can mean... Things such as, um, hang on, I just lost my little pointer here in my finger. It can be something like you're annoyed, and that's what I wanted to say, and I wasn't sure that was the next one. Word. Hey, man, you forgot to clean up. Word. I'm going to hang out with John, someone you don't like. Word. 
it can be used as a way to show disbelief, like, really? As in, I got a new car. Word? Word up is also sometimes used, but it has a slightly different meaning. So let me just go on to say some of the ways that Cliff learned the way the word word was used. If I give you my word, it is my bond. That meant so much at one time, did it not? It still means something to me, but I think in our culture so many times today, people give their word many times and break it just about as fast as it came out of their mouth. How many times a teacher or a parent said, I have, want to have a word with you. It, it, that had some negative connotation to it, right? It had some of those things like that. To have a word is a quick conversation. But here in this passage where John introduces us to Jesus as being the word, the Greek word logos, those of you who... Uh, Pierce bought a multi-million dollar program, right? I mean, it's expensive. I don't know what it was. I don't need to know, but it's called, isn't it called Logos? Lagos? <laughs> Lagos, Logos. It, it, is a, it is a preacher, electronic commentaries all compiled and all this kind of stuff so he can look up stuff. all. And he tried to talk me to it. And I said, I'm so long in the tooth. It's hard for me to... Look at stuff electronically. I want to touch the paper still. But logos is that word. In fact, I asked a couple of people this, uh, this week at uh, our coffee on Thursday morning, what does it mean when it says, when John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. What is the word? And well, of course, the immediate response was Jesus. Well, how do you get to that definition that the word was God? How do you understand that as being synonymous? Well, in Hebrew, which I am not a Hebrew scholar, I just gave you all the Hebrew I know, the first three words of Genesis 1-1. These days, I can barely recite the, recite the alphabet in Hebrew, which uh, is kind of disappointing after taking two years of it many years ago. But as in all things, and there's a note, there's a sermon for you, use what God has blessed you with before you cannot use it again. Practice the gifts that he's given you. But the Hebrew word is debar. It is a word that means creation. It is a word that means revelation. It is a word that means deliverance. It is a word that means healing. And when you think about Scripture in the Old Testament, debar becomes the essence of God. The word debar, which means the word in English, is the essence of God. Therefore, you can understand when John writes, in the beginning was the essence of God, and God was with God. God was God. God being Jesus the Christ. Let me just share with you a few Old Testament passages that use the word, the word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Now, immediately in my mind, I think of the Bible then being another meaning of the word, right? But if you think of Christ being the light for your way, that which guides you, it, it takes on to me a more panoramic understanding of who Christ is to be in our lives. What the word of God, what Christ, who is the word of God, can do for us.
Psalm 119 again. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Living according to Jesus. Isaiah 40. The grass withers and flowers fail and fall, but the word of God endures forever. Psalm 18. As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him. From this text then, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, calling Jesus the Word, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. He reveals to us, John, the full divinity of who Jesus, as well as his existence, to, the, to us as modern-day readers, that, that Jesus was fully God. Now, how many of you believe that? Um, you don't have to raise your hand. Because I'm going to share with you a, pool that, a poll that I came across uh, earlier or later last year in November when we went to this conference we went to in Dallas. I'd heard of Legionnaire. Legionnaire I say Legionnaire. It's probably Legionnaire. It's L-I-G-O-N-E-E-R. Uh, they do Christian surveys every two years. And uh, they survey the entire nation and then have you, if you do the survey, identify whether you're a Christian or not. So they can see what Americans say and then what evangelical Christians, how that is different. Here's the question that they received in 2020. They'll do it again this year. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. How would you respond to that? Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Before you raise your hand or say anything, I will tell you that of the national poll... 52% agreed that he was a great teacher, but not God. 52% did not believe that Jesus was God. When it came to evangelical Christians, here's a question again. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 30% agreed. Evangelical Christians... Almost one-third would not agree that Jesus was fully God. Oh my. How we have failed, men and women standing in our pulpits, sitting in our Sunday school classrooms, if that's what a Christian believes, they are so sadly mistaken. We have deceived ourselves. If you are following a man, you have deceived yourself. We're following the full God, full man in Jesus. These opening verses become the part of the proof text of the Trinity. Now, granted, though, there, there's so much theology in these first verses that I'm barely going to be able to scratch the surface, and some of you will already be dozing off or yawning. Ed said he brought his notebook today, and I said there may not be that much noteworthy. But let me tell you the concept of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, equal, fully God, this Godhead did not come even into existence in our theological understanding of who Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit were till the Nicene Creed in 325 A.D. So, almost the full 250, 250 years, or 275 years after Jesus' birth, were Christians able to get together 
and to make a decision that the Trinity reveals the full Godhead. It is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of you will say, well, Cliff, what does that mean? Well, if Jesus is not fully God, who are we following? And if he wasn't fully man, that sacrifice doesn't make sense anymore. It is, to try to define the Trinity is probably one of the most complicated illustrations you will ever think or analogies you will ever come of. And, and uh, God bless him, Lou Ranhofer's not here today. He sent me, uh, he, he watches and got me subscribing to it on YouTube, uh, Lutheran Satire. Uh, Lou raised Lutheran in, in great theology. Uh, there are two uh, men making fun of a uh, teacher who cannot explain what the Trinity is. And, of course, the Trinity is used, you know, some of you have used the term ice, right? You know, it's a liquid, it can be a gas, it can be a solid, and that, and that really fails. Some have used the, the, the illustration of an egg, it can be the shell, it can be the yolk, and it can be the, the white part, and that's the Trinity. No, those are all different forms of modalism or di different ways to misunderstand and I'm not even sure the one I stumbled on this week is the best, but it was a new one for me. Some of you have talked about a three-leaf clover, you know, representing the Trinity. Um, Friedrich Buchner, who I have quoted from many times, is still alive. He is a uh, preacher, theologian, writer. He talked about looking at a mirror. He said, when you look in a mirror, you see what everybody else sees about you. You see, basically then, he said, the Father. He said, but when you look at it and gaze at it, knowing the Father, you know you look like the Father. In fact, John will tell us, I think it's in the latter part of chapter 14, that if you have, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I guarantee you by looking at some of these men out here, I know what their dads look like because you look just like them. And then he said, if you're looking at that mirror, you see in yourself and in your eyes that which is inside you that powers you and strengthens you to go from day to day, and that would be the Holy Spirit. Once again, it's probably a bad uh, illustration, but it is a limited way in our limited minds to understand this wonderful concept, this Christian doctrine of the Trinity that so many Christians have a, time, have a difficult time struggling with. It is something we take in faith, but yet we have scriptural evidence and background, and this is one of the evidences right here. Where was Jesus in the beginning? If you read this passage, in the beginning, he was there. And then we read in verse 3 that all things were made with him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus, he does not become flesh until born of a of Mary, but this fully God person that we place our faith in has been from all time. So, I've got you confused enough. Let's go with something a little more conf less confusing, but perhaps equally confusing, the concept of with. With. Are you with me? Yes. Hey, say it. the word. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody's been listening. Word. We use the word with in so many different ways, don't we? Are you with child? No, we're not, not in our household, no. Um, how about, what's another one with with? We talked about all these. Dan Pierce and I drove back from Dallas, and we had all these wonderful conversations about the word with. Uh, is so-and-so still with 
such and such? You know, when you're like dating, when you're with this person, are you still with him? Are you still with her? It can mean to accompany. It can mean to be possessive. It can be as in something that remains behind. In fact, uh, we have a new uh, display in the back which talks about the concept of with and how we are to be with God, with others, and with a mission. And it defines that with idea in the the verbiage and the structure of how you would see the word with defined in a dictionary. And if you recall Pierce's sermon from last week, I think I have that next slide in there, that we developed as a staff a succinct statement for our church that we can use as a mission statement, a vision statement, as well as a road map. Now, those of you who, like I have set in so many off-sites with military leaders as well as with church leadership where a bunch of people get together and try to work on a mission statement they try to, or a vision statement, then a mission statement, and then some sort of guide points or, or values that you do to determine if you're making the mission and making the vision. These, I think, become a wonderful both mission and vision statement for us as well as a way that we have waypoints along the journey. That our church has a passion to build relationships with God. Just to be with God. I'm not saying that you've read your Bible from cover to cover. I'm not saying that you witnessed 20 people on the way to church. Have you spent any time with God? I sat in the same place on our leather couch, so much so that I'm sure the oil of my hair, or the baldness of my head, has started to influence the leather. When I dangle this left arm down the side of the overstuffed arm chair of the couch, the dachshund that I have a love-hate relationship will come from his kennel and lift his nose up for my hand to stroke him. And being the godlike figure, the alpha dog in the house, me, not him, he thinks he's alpha, he's not, on occasion I will stroke him. And when I'm done, he knows, go back in the kennel, leave that Godhead alone. And I thought this past week, how many times God has extended his hand for you and I just to be with him. But we never got out of the kennel. In fact, if anything, we were barking after cars going by. So this morning, as I'm still struggling with my silly computer, my wife's, actually it's Brenda's, but you know, it's 10 years old, and yeah, I think it's time to probably upgrade, because I could not get it to save, and I couldn't get it to send, and I can't get the slideshows that we use out here on the home computer, because Apple won't let me update anymore, and I just want to take my gun and shoot it, but I didn't. And the dog, she's let, him, let the dog out, because I wouldn't even let him out this morning. I was mad at everything and mad at the world, and finally she let him out, and as soon as he comes in, she loves on him a little bit, and as soon as she's done, he sprints into the office where I'm sitting at the desk chair, and he looks at me. And I tap my lap that I never let him do that. And he jumped up on my lap, and he looked at her like, <laughs> I've arrived! I want you to know that God taps his lap every time he sees you. He wants you to jump up and embrace him. He wants you to be with Him. So if you get nothing today other than the fact that God 
sent his son who was from the beginning, was God, is God, with God, and without him nothing has been made. With. Finally, without him nothing. I feel like singing an Elvis song. (sighs) In fact, if I'd been smart, I laid it right there for you. Aaron, I, names are not coming as well as most things. It's him number, and I think it's 300. Is that it? Without him? How many of you know that what I thought until this week, because that came immediately into my mind, without him I could do nothing. Without him I surely did. I thought that's an old gospel hymn, right? I'm looking at Wade. It's like written in 1963. It's not something like from the 1800s, like a Fanny Crosby. It's not something like, you know, a Wesley hymn. Or, or, you know, it, it is new that some young man who is still alive, he's not a young man anymore, he was 17 years old when he wrote that, understood this verse so well. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And I know I'm probably doing a little extra Jesus here, or <laughs> instead of exegesis. Nothing was made that has been made without him. So without him, I am nothing. If you read in that hymn number 300, we are desolate without him. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting without him like a sail like a ship without a sail. Oh, Jesus, do you know him? I'm skipping down to the end of it. Do you know him today? Please don't turn him away. Oh, Jesus, my Jesus, without him, how lost I would be. That's from Mylon Lafere, I think is how you say his name. 17 years old. And he said he wrote it. I was trying to find the research. I, I, once again, that's the way I, I don't know, I like to drill down. And he had just written it and was able to be somewhere where Elvis had just done a performance of How Great Thou Art. And he shared that song with Elvis. And Elvis recorded it within like three months. And many, uh, I think Waylon, I think uh, Willie, several country stars have sung that song. But it was so funny how we think of things, or how I think of things. That's a church song that has been around forever. No, not necessarily, young man. But without him, I would be nothing. We have the Word. Word. The Word was with God. You could say Word again, almost like Amen. Word. And the Word was God. Word. And without Him, we are nothing. Stand with me, please, we pray. Fathers, we come now to a time of invitation in this service. There are some who have never accepted the Word that you sent, Jesus. As we sing a song and As I stand here in the front, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come and sit on the front seat. And if there's someone who comes who wants prayer, they'll get up and pray with them. Lord, as we have this time now to dedicate ourselves to you, perhaps we don't need to leave the pew, but if there is something that is so touching our heart that the Holy Spirit is tapping us on the shoulder to say, go, be prayed over, go, turn it over, surrender it, let go of whatever sin, let go of the problems that you cannot overcome because the Word, your Word, overcomes all. Lord, speak to us in this invitation, for we pray it in Jesus' name.